Thanks, folks, and joining us for the, I guess this is our officially second episode of Flat Five Perspectives. Uh, this time, it's me, Eric Hollinsworth, Justin Berkeley, and Josh Barling going to be joining you for, for this little bit. How are you guys doing this evening? Word. We're doing great. Really full. Really full, yeah. Uh, our uh, our pre-show is better than anybody else's pre-show. Justin whipped up some steaks and scalloped potatoes and some yeah. some some kind of pan-fried broccoli and pepper thing and sipping on hot chocolate and chair wine at this point. So yeah, we're we're just fat and happy and ready to do this thing. So the one of the things that we've talked about is is we wanted to be more than just a local kind of uh, kind of blab thing happening and and really branch out into a more of a, a you know a larger scale but it always comes down to the local stuff and and just the other day i read um one of my favorite venues to play locally jimmy's on the james has uh has has given it up, given up the ghost to COVID at this point and I know all three of us have done gigs there, and it was one of the few places that actually supported live jazz on the regular basis. And Justin, I, I know you you played there a couple times with different different bands, didn't you? Our R.I.P. Jimmy's. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of like the significance, the importance, like for the scene here in Lynchburg, like it just can't be overstated. I'm of the age right now that I can remember being like a jazz street girl Mm -hmm. and then jazz street went away and it kind of became part of stony badger when remember they had like two sections of the restaurant for a while and there's like jazz on one side and And not jazz jazz on on the the other (laughs) whatever was coming through that weekend whatever's bleeding through the walls um And then, you know, Jazz Street kind of went away. And we've had a a couple of small iterations of, like, supper clubs and and attempts at getting a scene. Like, the Ellington used to do that. Right. mm, What, quarterly, maybe, as part of a grant? But it never did it, like, on any, like, regular scheduled basis that I can remember. And I had some great memories and some great times at Ellington. Saw some phenomenal shows. Right. But nothing ever got any traction never got the the hooks in in terms of just being a regular standing venue where people could go and play people could go and hear live musicians and people could go and hear local musicians i mean it's one thing to go to a concert venue or those kinds of things and you see a national touring act once and you're like oh wow that was a really cool experience but it's another one to be like hey i know that guy and maybe I can go talk to him about some music, or right. maybe I can go um, hear him somewhere else, or follow this person around and get, you know get some knowledge off that guy. And so when Jimmy's got on the scene originally, I mean, even when it was when, when it was you know James Dudley at the piano doing "Fly Me to the Moon" and all those kinds of things true, during true. supper. I, and actually, then, people that have not experienced Jimmy, Jimmy has one of the best crooning voices i've ever heard for a local dude regional dude i mean he has the pipes absolutely but he's playing uh an electronic uh fake grand piano to tracks and he's playing just right hand enough to where he's tinkling away so you think man he's got it going on and then you look at what he's doing you're like he's really doing something really well here isn't he (laughs) he's he's got it going on you know but just as good as he was at that probably better is in between songs, getting up, going and shaking hands, patting people on the back. Hey, was this good? Was the food good? Was your waitress good tonight? Uh, old school. Just I mean, just old school. The way it should be done. And right. so, 
you, you, this thing comes on the scene in Lynchburg, and Lynchburg has never done that well. Mm-mm. And all of a sudden, you've got somebody doing this, and you're like, hell yeah. Like, we've, we've, we finally got it. And then it was like, oh, you got your horn with you? After the dinner crowd passes, you know, through go get your horn out of your car, man. You can come play and there'll be a jam session and there'll be a standing jam and then they'll be like, we'll start booking bands and all those kinds of things. And it was really exciting. And now we've got COVID coming in and wrecking it. And yeah, you're just I, like, yeah. Well, didn't what, one of our fir- former comrades, Ken, wasn't there a group that he played with that was like the standing band for a while? It was the Young yeah. young Guns of, of Jazz in Lynchburg. It was, yeah, what they, they call themselves? Uh, swing Theory. Swing Theory. Yeah. yeah it was and, him and, and Andy. That's kind of when I came in. Yeah, Andy Poindexter. You know, and um, yeah, those guys were really, they, they were honing their craft in front of a crowd for some really good food. Mm-hmm. But it worked out. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. The, the, the Jimmies I knew kind of graduated from, hey, come hang out and maybe play a little bit after as a jam session to actually being booked there. And it wasn't just the jazz at that point. Nine o'clock, they started bringing in all kinds of stuff, rock and country and wh- whatever. I, I mean, you guys squeezed in there with um, with the funk all-stars at one That's point. That's true. <laughs> I, I played uh, and, quite and, a few and, gigs with them there. And, and I'll be honest, it's it's a struggle getting a four-piece in there, and you guys were like, what, 11, 12, something like that? Yeah, for Jimmy's, I think we carried like seven, but that's still like that, That's like insane. Pe- sitting on laps and the drummer's in the corner and can't get out till you somebody moves as a So wait a minute, we symbol. actually played separate Jimmy's gigs with the, with the Funk All-Stars because I had one where I was up at the Encore playing with Ty, and that was the night that you guys browned browned out at Jimmy's like the power yep. blew out at the restaurant yep and then there was another one where I was on a wedding gig with Funk All Stars and you couldn't make it to that one yep so we've actually taken Funk All Stars in there twice and yeah to your point Eric like that little space that's next to the bar like there was enough room for me to stand with my elbows kind of out to hold a saxophone and that was it I was at the end of the bar, and I was jammed in there between bass, bass cabinet, I don't know, break dancer, backup singer, like <laughs> yeah, with, whomever was there. Yeah, we brought in a, um, the the uh, Long Strange Night crew. We brought in a six piece, full on rock and roll band, and we were way too much for that room. And I know the funk. I, I was outside for the funk also. I couldn't go in. I mean, it was just it. The energy was great, and it was a heck of a show. I could see through the door, but I'm like, I am not going in that tiny little place with basically the, the musicians on a, on a slow night would outnumber the patrons if there was a four piece. Mm-hmm. And that, that was fine. It was that kind of place. It was a small intimate place. And then you get into this, this large sounding bands and it kind of just scares you, but they made it work, man. Up until COVID they, they were Friday night. Sometimes they would have two, two events. They would have, Something going on till midnight, and then they'd have an after group, mm-hmm. DJ or something like that. So they they found a way to be both, I think, an upscale restaurant, a um, a more mature adult crowd, rock and roll venue, different kind of musics. Like you might get, you know, a cover band, you might get jazz, you might get a, a bluegrass band. You never knew. And then they were smart enough to realize that those people go home early. And you still have three hours before you have to do last call. Let's bring in a DJ for those people that 
are out that time of night. Supposed to do last call. Yeah, supposed to do. There have been many times that I have played Jimmy's that I did not get home till the next day because last call was who's still here? (laughs) Yeah. For the for those of you in 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 podcast land who can't (laughs) see us, we're all making air quotes right now. (laughs) Last call. Yeah. Right. So what about you, Josh? I know you're you're kind of new to the area, so I don't know how much exposure you got to the Yeah. So Jimmy's was kind of my introduction to the Lynchburg music scene. And uh, I'm I came in about five years ago, twenty fifteen, so is when I came in here. I didn't really know anybody. You know, I was playing at the college, didn't, still didn't really know anybody. And then um Swing Theory, the group that you mentioned earlier, they started doing a jam session. And I said, Well, you know, coming from San Antonio Coming from San Antonio, that's uh, that's what you have to do. You got to go to the jam sessions. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's go down to the jam session, and that's where I met Andy Poindexter, and I, you know, I met Ken Brand and uh, Kendall and Trev and uh, Dylan and and all those guys doing that stuff, and they were so nice to sit and talk with me. Didn't know who I was. Didn't know me from Adam. And I did let me sit up there for as long as I wanted, call tunes, play on stuff, not play on stuff. I mean, they were really great. And that was it's, kind of it's my... An open ba- it was a very open bunch. Yeah. And they were all great players. I mean, it, it was a really cool group and it was a very cool thing. And that was really before downtown Lynchburg had anything, really. I mean, it was whenever I first moved here, downtown Lynchburg was like, don't go there. You know, it's basically what they told me. So it was Jimmy on the James or go home. It's not like that now, obviously, and there's a lot more opportunities. But so that was kind of it. Um, and then when Flat Five started, I don't know, you remember this. Uh, Eric, you weren't in the group at that point. We had our uh, former bass player. But Jimmy on the James was Flat Five's very first gig we ever did outside of our, our practice studio. Never we, knew that. Jimmy on the James. Nice. Yeah, you know, um, I think we all had like our experiences in, in Jimmy's, um, and I like to think that you know that place will get used again for something. I don't think it'll ever be the cool thing that it was because it was sort of an uh, an anomaly in in the city in that they tried to they tried to do things in a slightly upscale way, just a little bit better than everybody else was doing it. Their food was always pretty much on point. I, I didn't have a bad meal there, never. And no, I and I look I look forward to gigs. I would say, oh, I get me because Bobby made probably the best martini, vodka martini I've ever had in my life. I mean, it's just the ice crystals floating in at the whole nine yards. I mean, I look forward to that and their meatloaf. I always you know I, I, I knew. Larry Scott, local drummer, same way, man. You ready? Yeah, I'm gonna give me some of that meatloaf. I'm like, you're right on, you know. And you know, I'd like to think that somebody's gonna take that over. I also recognize that there are every every medium sized large town has a place like that that try to support, you know, a different culture of art. You know, mm-hmm. not just bringing in what they know will, will, will sell, you know, the, 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 what they call it, the yacht rock guys that are doing all the covers that everybody can sing along to and actually saying, you know what, you guys are doing something different and we like that. Can we book you not only now, but can we book you six weeks from now? And then we're doing a wine tasting and we'd like to have you guys do that. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just don't get that. I don't think a lot. And it is, you know, it's a sign of the times we've, we've seen how many places close in this, at this point for this. So, 
anyway, a, a sad but a recognition of a really really cool place in the area. Yeah, I, I hope that uh, after all this is said and done, and and we can all kind of collectively recover from twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. I truly hope that uh, Jimmy's can find its feet again, and that somebody's going to bring that back. And maybe it's not what it was. Maybe yeah, you're right, but maybe, maybe it's going to be something else. It could be. And there are a couple of places like, um, you know, I was really, really close to some of the folks that worked at Cary Street Cafe in Richmond. It was a Grateful Dead themed bar and Long Strange Night. We were, you know, one of their regular bands there for a long time, and they basically closed down, had to sell, and you know. People tried to get enough money to go together to buy the place as a, like a community, just to keep that vibe going. And you know, again, a sad situation that it's truly under nobody's control. This, this awful pandemic thing, but it's it's sad to see them go. Has anybody checked the fundraiser, or the GoFundMe right now for Birdland? Because Birdland oh, had today. launched okay. a uh, fundraiser as well to try to stay open. I know like Billy Joel jumped on and there was a couple other big names that jumped onto that and they were really pushing to help keep it open. So, I mean, when you have people, you know, the caliber of Billy Joel, I mean, he could almost save it single-handedly if he wanted to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of that kind of brings us to our to the to the next kind of I guess topic of discussion that we 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 kind of agreed on. Birdland, I know haven't you been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, where, and I'm sure that's probably on your top, probably three, if not, it should be. Um, but what's one of the best venues that you've been to to see, uh, to see a show? And it may be a specific show, not necessarily the venue, but the venue helped. I mean, like I've been really fortunate to be able to go see shows at... Um, at the Dakota in Minneapolis, I've seen shows at Blues Alley. I've seen shows at Village. Um, I've seen shows at Birdland, uh, Lincoln Center. Um, I, I guess one of my favorites is probably the Village. And I think it's probably because like, when you listen to the old albums – you kind of have it built up in your mind as this like palace of jazz, like this, you know, this kind of uh, uh, hermetically sealed place that, um, you know, there's absolute recording control over and all this kind of stuff. And then you go in, well, first of all, you, you go to go in and you realize it's a staircase that like you basically fall down three stories <laughs> into the underground. Trying to break a leg. Yeah. You're sitting in the seats, and then all of a sudden, stuff starts to rumble around you because you you realize that there's a, a subway train going by at like a hundred miles an hour on the other side of a wall, and the um, the amazing thing about it is like you're like all of these records that I've listened to, and all of these great things that I've spent a lifetime studying and loving and listening to, like all of this stuff got recorded here. And it's a question mark instead of an exclamation point. And that's really one of those like uh, kind of amazing things. So in terms of like the venue and the, the je ne sais quoi of the venue, Village Vanguard's got to be up there. It's just got to be one of my favorites. Right on. Yeah, it's definitely a top five for me as well, the Village Vanguard, the time that I went there. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's so small. Like I don't mm -hmm. even know how they fit some of the bands in there that, you know, you've heard all the great recordings of over the – over the years so yeah that was one of my favorites for sure i know um 
another one of my favorites is probably has partly to do with the um with the show that I saw. Uh I had just turned 21 and I had an opportunity to go to the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland, which again, very much like the Village Vanguard, there are so many great classic live recordings recorded All of there. them. Yeah. All of them. Just pick one and <laughs> yeah. you're good. And so I got to go and, you know, you basically buy tickets for the shows that are going to be there for the two weeks, whatever. And looking at the the lineup, I bought a ticket to see John McLaughlin remembering Shakti. That was, like I said, I was 21 at the time. Hadn't really dug into McLaughlin too much. I knew he was a great guitar player. I know I'd heard him on some of the Miles records, big Miles Davis fan, but hadn't hadn't really dug into his Indian style music with uh, with Shakti and all the all the different stuff he did. Uh, with his groups around then, but I said, I get a chance to see John McLaughlin, I got to take it. So I go into the Miles Davis Theater is what they call it. There's two big ones. And the Miles Davis Theater is one I went into, and it's just this huge, massive arena. And I got to walk right up to the to the front in the standing room only, right up to the gate. And I'm, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 feet away from the stage because they've got the gate and the space, and then the stage is raised, right? And then John McLaughlin comes out on his Remembering Shakti um, tour he was doing it was him an electric mandolin player cannot remember the guy's name um, I learned later that it was Zakir Hussein who I had no idea who that was at the time and then it was another percussionist and percussionist really doesn't do him justice and again I wish I could remember his name as well because these are this is all greatness that I was seeing and they all came out in these white just flowing robes barefoot and they came out and they sat cross-legged on, on the floor <laughs> on a carpet. And then they put this little white kind of linen cloth over their feet. And then John McLaughlin uh, addressed the crowd in French. No idea what he said. And then they started playing stuff that to this day absolutely blows my mind. <laughs> and I have no idea what they were doing. But I could not look away. There was... They had a drone coming through every now and then, but other than that, there was no bass. There was really no chords unless the guitars or the mandolin player were doing it. I mean, and it just, it grooved like nothing else, but they were probably in some foreign time zone and time signature that I could, I would never in, in a million years be able to figure out. And to this day, I will go back because um, you can actually get that show on CD. I'll go back and listen to it and just remember everything just being 21 again and seeing this just masterful musicians come on stage and then play music that I had never heard in my life and really dug into and just being so enthralled with it and uh I've been following that stuff ever since and it's just one probably my favorite concert I've ever seen in my life it's just really had that much of an impact on me and then it was in Montreux Switzerland in the Miles Davis Auditorium it, mm. it was just an amazing experience favorite show ever that's really really high praise i mean that's that's rare error yeah 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 i uh i'm gonna go outside the jazz world i saw fish in 2009 at the um down in hampton at the mothership (laughs) and there's video of that show and it doesn't do it justice uh and you know it was an entertainment thing. It's, it's it's almost like one of those bucket list things. I had the chance to go, so I went. And I'm glad I did. I mean, I had a great experience with it. 
but sometimes it's not a, it's not always about the venue. Now the venue did make that. I don't know if you've ever seen a show in the inside the Coliseum. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it is a spaceship mm-hmm. <laughs> at the Hampton Coliseum. But I got this, you know, I got to actually work um, a Dizzy Gillespie, one of his last shows actually, when I was in college, and it was at the 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 theater at at Roanoke College that I worked in. I was a theater major at the time. I worked in every day, but that venue became a magical place with him on the stage. Now this is later in the career. He would come out, uh, he would play about, you know, he played t- twice through, blow up his cheeks really big. Everybody go, ah, and then he'd amble off stage and his band would just kill it. And he'd come back in, he'd solo and then he'd do the head out and then he would start a song and he'd amble off or he would just hang with the band. But there was, like you say, you, when you, I don't think it really, the venue didn't matter at that point. He made the venue. And and that kind of strength of of stardom will will do that. You'll see them in the weirdest places, mm-hmm. and you'll just go, "Best show I've seen," and cool cool place because it's my home, basically. So, yeah, we um we went on a a thing a couple of years ago where I would uh, give tickets to my cousins for Christmas. Like that would be the big gift for that part of the family is like my cousin Christian and my cousin Tyler, uh, Christian's wife, Meg, and at the time Tyler's wife, Jackie, who, who passed away a couple years ago. And my wife, Lee, and I, and that would be our thing. We would give tickets at Christmas time and say sometime during this year, we're all going to go see a concert together. And it might be, you know, it might be Dave Matthews Banner, it might be something else, but it's something for us to get together and spend some time together, go grab a meal, go hang out, you know, crash somewhere and, and just be together because, right? you know, we, we kind of lost touch for a while. And a couple of years ago, I remember Jefferson Center had posted that Snarky Puppy was going to do a concert there. And I nice. was like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to go to that. Um, let me go ahead and, and get this, these tickets. And so I waited the day that tickets were going to – become available and I called it like 10 a.m. or whatever the opening time was and they're like oh man you're lucky uh we've just got a couple left and I was like well give me six tickets and so they they sold six tickets and I had no idea what these tickets were <laughs> I just knew that I got six tickets to see Snarky Puppy and you know the Jefferson Center seats what 600 probably yeah, yeah it, uh, the Jefferson Center for folks that don't know it's a Roanoke Virginia venue, it's a, a converted uh, high school. Yeah, it was the old Jefferson High School, the Magicians, and they got they repurposed that whole building as an arts center, and they're using their old and the the facility itself is just stellar. The state of the art, it's state of the art, but the it's still very Art Deco when you get out into the crowd, and you know the all the trimmings and stuff. Are, are very, very in that period, and it's it's just a fabulous place to see a show. So I, we, we, the tickets come in, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. Like, it doesn't have a row. Like, I'm not in row U or seat 17. Like, I don't know where we're sitting, but, guys, I got you these tickets for Christmas, and we're going to have a great time. So we go. We, we go get dinner. We went down to um, Blue 5. Went to Blue 5 for dinner Which, that night. by the way, has closed. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, same reason, COVID, just a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. we went to Blue 5, then we went over to Jefferson Center, and they ta- they, the, the line is starting, 
and the line is kind of wrapping around to the backstage area. I'm like, like I've been in enough auditoriums. I know where backstage is. Where are we going? And so <laughs> they they open the doors for us because we're at the late show. We're at the nine o'clock show, and the seats are all on the stage. And I'm like, what the hell did I buy tickets for? So we grab a row of seats right next to the bass amp, and the band comes out, and we're seated in and amongst the band, and they start playing, and lo and behold, this was one of the family dinner albums. Like, this was being... (laughs) This is being recorded at that point. This is being recorded live. This is being, uh, you know, videographers there. And Layla Hathaway gets up and blows it out of the water, and they win a wow. Grammy for that recording. So, like, I can actually say I was on the stage for a Grammy recording. I was like, there. Um, do, do I you did know not the contribute. Stamp? Uh, I'm sure I can find a YouTube's right here, bro. Uh, <laughs> I'm that famous. No. <laughs> right. But I mean, you want know to talk just like. Um, Having been to the Jefferson Center a bunch of times before and having been several times after, there's never anything that's going to be that again in terms of being in the music and being a part of like what was going on there. Unless you're actually performing there. Unless I'm actually performing there. Which is, I've, I've had the opportunity to do that. Sway Cats, a big band you and I, you played in for a while together. We, pl- we played there. We split a show with the Kings. Of all things, nice. yeah, it was oldies. It was oldie moldies all night long there. While we got them in, we're going to take a take just a short break. And and if you if you like what you're hearing, you can find uh, this episode and future episodes at our website at flat5va.com. Did I get that right? No, no, no it's flat5jazzva.com. I forgot the jazz. Yeah. And what's our Instagram, Josh? Go to Instagram. It's just flat5jazz. And Facebook, same thing. It is exactly right. Flat5jazz. Right on. All right, so. We, we've talked about the best show we've seen. What about the best venue you've played in, Josh? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay, so... Um, I, I've had the luxury to play in a lot of different places, and, and it, it's... It, that is kind of a tough one. It is kind of a tough one. Um, I, I, I can go back to one of my favorite concerts that I ever did. kind of goes back to us talking about the favorite shows that we went to because one of, one of the places that always comes into my mind, and I think it's because it's, a very, it's very big for me personally, was when, um, when I was in Montreal. Uh, I went there to perform. I, I was playing in a big band at that point. And so at um, part of our shows throughout the week, we played something called Off Mantra, which is a, a lot of spots off Lake Geneva. And then you had one or two shows on one of the big stages. And I got to actually perform on the same stage that I'd actually saw John McLaughlin play on the week oh, that, prior. Oh, that's cool. That's nice. So I got to get on the Miles Davis uh, stage, the Miles Davis Auditorium stage. And it was, I, I'll be very honest, there was a moment for me just walking out there, even though it's really, it's really just an auditorium. I mean, the, there's some statues and stuff that, that have been there forever, and you would recognize if you've watched the Mantra Live series. But just being on that stage and going, man, I remember when Quincy Jones and Miles Davis came up here and did the Gil <laughs> Evans stuff and how big that was. And I watched that DVD a thousand times trying to get Miles Davis's licks and listening to how things happen. And then... The, the John McLaughlin show I had just seen and a couple others I had just seen and then just all the records. And here I am on this stage 
with a big band. Nobody knows who I am. I'm just playing in a big band, but it was just, I, I may never get back here. And, and I definitely took time to just soak all of that in and that all that history that that festival has has meant to, I mean, music in general, not just jazz. Um, that that one always sticks in my mind as one of my favorites to play. And, I, and that's just because of the age I was and, and the historical value meant a lot to me. When, when you're talking about like, historical value like my mind goes to more like nostalgia mm-hmm. and I, i'm gonna bring this conversation like full circle like when when i started talking about jimmy's i can tell you that i remember on old forest road on the right where the walmart super center is now before, used to before be, it was a win dixie yeah right there used to be a place called jazz street grill there I've heard and so much about this Best place. red beans and rice I've ever ate, really. Oh, I mean, all the C- Cajun stuff. The etouffee was great. The uh, um, the uh, um, gumbo was supposed to be really good. I don't think I ever even had it. Um, who was it who really loved the gumbo? Was it Larry? Yeah, Larry, Larry, yeah, Larry or Lou Taylor. Oh, one of, what, I don't remember. One of, one of those old guards. Anyway, somebody swore by it. Anyway... That was the first place in Lynchburg that really wanted to support live music and regular music like jazz, um, like on a regular basis. And I can remember being there, and this would have been like ninth grade, maybe eighth grade. My best friend's mom drove us there for dinner one night. You know, neither one of us can drive. Um, and I remember Lou was playing there, and it was um, it was Jasmine. It was his the old group Jasmine, I think, that yeah. was playing there. And like I can't remember like after the second set asking, like, could we come up and play? And we had our horns in the van and that kind of stuff. And we went out and got our horns and we threw our stuff together and you know, the typical stuff, like, oh man, I don't know if this reed's gonna play and I don't know if I should play this mouthpiece or like I don't know what we're gonna play and what tune and that kind of stuff and just fretting a bunch of about a bunch of dumb stuff, and getting up there and being able to play n- absolutely nothing, like absolutely nothing that made any sense. Nothing was right. I don't think we even called a real tune, but we got up and we played and we made noise in that spot. And the guys couldn't have been more gracious. They couldn't have been more encouraging. They what, was Larry been, with that group at that time. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, you know, not the first or the last time I would embarrass myself with a saxophone in my hands in front of Larry Scott, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but you know, they couldn't have been more welcoming or gracious or kind about two kids who could barely hold their horns coming in and playing. And what I think is really kind of cool about that is like now after having worked a little bit on the horn and after having gotten some some understanding of what's going on there. Like now I get to play gigs and I get to play with those guys. Like I get to play with Larry and I get to play with Lou and I get to like hopefully contribute something meaningful of a musical nature to those conversations. And really I view that in ways of like how I'm able to like, like have earned that opportunity. And and I think, you know, that's one of the great things about a jazz community is because Every one of us have been there. We've been that 
awkward teenager that thinks they know stuff because they learned a pentatonic scale and then they figured out a blues scale on top of that. And oh, man. and I'm ready. I'm ready to go out here and do this. And you get you get like support like that from these guys, and it and it keeps you going. I know it did with me. I I, I similar situation went to see one of my instructors playing somewhere. And they invited me up. He knew I knew exactly one tune really well. And he invited me up and asked me to play that one tune. And then he said, you're done, quietly. And you did a good job, man, but we're going to move on. And and it didn't matter because I did that and I did it well. And it gave me a sense of accomplishment. And it kept me going. It kept that desire going. I, and I think we all try to do that as well. We've, we've collectively gone, gone through some younger players here in the local area, both in projects, not just flat five, but other projects where it's like, man, they've got talent. Let's work with them and see where it goes. And they, and then they find their own journey after that. And, and hopefully, you know, we, we have passed down whatever we've learned, Mm -hmm. you know, from the, from the old guard to us, to these guys to keep that tradition going. And that's, that's, part of why we try to find these places to play like that because it's going to be it's going to lend itself to being open like that there is also some value to getting your ass handed to you yeah. there are sometimes when you're the hot stuff and you've got your pentatonic lick and you've got your your blues scale and you've and learned you get the up, lick and yeah you, and you've learned the lick and you know yeah. whatever and then you go in and play with people and they they really play it for you forward and backwards and upside down you're like oh 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 no oh, i don't never, know anything never, okay yeah ne- never mind let me play let me play a melody and get out uh-huh there's yeah. some value there too yeah i you know i think with you it's the the favorite venue it almost becomes a nostalgic thing mm-hmm. and and the one that really it was a great experience. I think you were part of that experience. Was the Fourth of July and July in two thousand ten with the Sway Cats? <laughs> yeah, I was there. Dude, I remember it. It was it was probably the best that band had sounded to that point. It's it, definitely one of the hottest days in the world ever. Oh my god! And the sun just beating down on us the whole day. Frontline had no reprieve. Yeah, we were we were the entertainment before the fireworks for the city of Roanoke's big production and i think the count was thirty six thousand people or something like that it was just a sea of humanity friends said that they could hear us like a mile away with that sound system it was an outdoor you know venue uh, i think it was what five six football fields deep something like that and two wide sounds about right packed with people but there was something about you know they didn't come there to see us but we won them over and mm-hmm. they were excited about what we were playing. It was a good good time. Was had by all. All the musicians were hitting on it. Mm-hmm. You had some good. I listen. Actually, it's, there's a video of that out there on YouTube. Oh, fantastic! And it actually sounds decent. And you know, you had a couple of rides that were just stellar. Our buddy Calvin Armentrout was doing his thing, just popping and cracking his saxophone all over the place. And, and but the, I think what made that even more special was not the crowd out there, but how connected that band had come during that, the run-up rehearsals to that. And the camaraderie that still comes from, we survived a very brutal rehearsal process for that. I mean, it was, <laughs> we, we, I wouldn't say dictatorial in, in how it was handled, but it was handled in a very pre- precision-based way. I, would, would that be a good way of putting it? If you think Village Vanguard is small for an 18-piece piece big band, like, yeah. 
Scott's basement is small. <laughs> yeah, our, our music director hosted, and it was, uh, what was it, a, a 10 by 15, 10 by 20 room, something oh, like that? Oh, man. Yeah. And it was just brutally loud, low ceiling. But I, I tell you, looking back at that, we were whipped into shape. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we, the music we were playing was was not the easiest. That band was really special at times. I mean, really, and, really and, special at times. And 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 it and it still continues to be even as it grows because we're we're still together after was this our sixteenth year or something like that. And our buddy Greasy G Graham is uh, one of our subs too, and he's he's enjoyed playing. You've come down and played with us a couple of times. It's a very special band because it, it, it's much like what we've got. It's uh, an ego check at the door. You're there to serve the music, and I think that's that's what made that concert so 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 good. Mm-hmm. You know, just playing on that. But then again, you know, we've played places where it's tiny, and you still get that same kind of a feel to it. Again, Jimmy's on the James. You know, we've done a couple of shows there in our yep. in. A semi-current lineup before we've settled on drummers or had drummers before that have played with us there and a couple of subs and there just seems to be some of these places just crawl, cry out for a good sound. Well, I mean the what we did at the um, at the Holiday Inn downtown Lynchburg at the mm. at the yeah, Encore the lounge, yeah. at the Lounge. We 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 did a every week jam for a while and it really it really was a special moment at times. There are other times where it wasn't so special, but you know, it, it just kind of all moved on. Now, I, I really like if, if we want to talk about something that I, I really miss from COVID. Like, I really miss traveling, and I really miss like hugging people, and I really miss the opportunity to go and play, even even at stuff like Encore. Not to say that Encore is not significant or worthwhile, but like a good night at Encore was. 40 or 50 people and a bad night at Encore, it was whoever we brought with us. Yep. But in those circumstances, like there's no question that whoever was there was there about the music. Musicians and audience alike. It wasn't exactly it 100%. Was, nobody was there without the purpose of the music. Right. Yeah, you would walk into like our our stint at the Encore, and then every time I've I've been to Jimmy's and got a chance to play, and there's just an air about the place. You walk into it, and you just know that something's going to happen. Something there's going to be magical moments tonight. Just walking in, haven't even taken the horn out. We don't even have the PA set up. I mean, half the people that may or may not show up aren't even here, but you're just there, and you're excited to get on that stage and hit that first note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so I have one more question. If I may, we, anybody that knows any of us on an individual basis knows we're all foodies. Mm. We, we both love to create and eat food. So the question I pose, Josh. Okay. Best venue food, place you've played and the food that you think is the best. Okay. Um, and by the way, this was the one question we didn't discuss in pre-production. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, this mm. sneaky. Th- I had it on this my can pad. be anywhere, right? Doesn't have to be here in Lynchburg. No, no. Any place that you've played and you've gotten fed the best food. Oh man. Well, I've got about five I could mention in San Antonio, but um. Oh, that's unfair. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good food in San Antonio. You have no idea. But here, here's the one that popped in my head very first because there is no such thing as good Mexican food here in Lynchburg. Ooh, um, wow, wow. So Ooh, I used to strokes. do. Oh, 
I, I stand by it. I, nobody's proven me wrong yet. So I'm, I'm open to be proven wrong. It's just not happened. So We have like two Taco Bells. How can you- <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to, in San Antonio, I used to fill in for a buddy of mine on uh, mariachi gigs. Now, mariachi gigs are some of the hardest gigs I've ever had to play in my life. And anybody who's listening who knows you know what mariachi is yes i had to get up on with the big huge sombrero and all the tassels and all that stuff and if i ever find any pictures i will burn them so nobody will see no i'll 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 make sure they get out there if i can find any and um when you do mariachi gigs you're you're basically going to a mexican restaurant and you're walking around going table to table and if they want you to play a song you'll stand there and play a song for them They'll give you 20 bucks and say, play this, and we're going to play that. Or we're just going to walk around and play, and you different points, and you play. You go here, and you play. Well, one of the big restaurants that is, it's definitely a tourist attraction. I still think it's one of the best full restaurants without getting into the street tacos and the street Mexican food. Uh, Mi Tieta, which, you know, if you ever go to San Antonio, you'll hear Mi Tieta. I used to do gigs there, and we would get paid, and then Mi Tieta would give us free food. And it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you never knew who was in the audience. I've played gigs at three in the morning playing mariachi for the musicians who just got off their their jazz gigs Mm -hmm. at 2 a.m. coming to eat there. And that is some of the absolute best food that you'll have. Now, there's better Mexican food overall, but they're not full-fledged restaurants. So you're talking like the street tacos and that kind of stuff. The actual good stuff, yeah. Type of Mexican food. But that, that's the first one that popped to my mind because I'm missing me some Mexican food big time. Justin? I don't know. We we booked a couple things. You would probably remember Feria's Twin Oaks over here in Forest. Yeah. Um, there was a, a – he was an executive chef for somebody. Right. And then Actually, he opened Billy, up. Billy and Scott and I played there one time. Uh-huh. Yeah, as a jazz trio. They he opened a he like bought a house and converted it over to a uh, to a, a restaurant a, kind of a thing with a downstairs bar. Yeah, and we get I got booked there one time and then we booked some things there and you know if you play if you play they feed you and so like you want a filet mignon and you want these like twice baked potatoes and we have like asparagus or broccoli and like creme brulee and can I pour you some wine and they were real like wine people so like if you they were going to pour you some wine it was going to be real good wine um and so like in terms of like probably the best pound for pound food i've ever been fed for a gig that would be really good um 202 and roanoke oh my god i forgot about that oh the beef oxtails or beef tails yeah 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 we played there with the sway cats sway cats played there a couple times crammed on that stage twice mardi gras we marched through the streets of downtown roanoke playing Uh when the saints come marching in Uh uh-huh and they had the the uh the hot pots Yes. For our dinner, oh, yeah, that was yes. oh, that was oh, really good. That sounds so good. Um, I had forgotten all about. I I was sound guy at that point, so that's. Oh my gosh, I've I've forgotten that too. Yeah. Um. No, but I mean, in terms of food, like just like that kind of stuff, like really, really phenomenal cooking. And then the only other thing is like something is jumping out at me about like we've played fairs or something like that because I can remember like having a like a uh, a ticket or a, a pass 
that I could go to like all the food trucks and get something and I don't remember where it was now. But like being able to completely gorge out on like uh, footlong corn dogs and like deep fried Oreos. Yeah, de- I mean all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember yeah. an experience like that, and I just don't remember which band it was. But going through and like, yes, I would like some teriyaki chicken skewers. Yes, I would like a, a corn dog. Yes, I want some kettle corn. Yes, I, like that was a lot of fun too. But I don't remember what that was for now. Can't yeah, believe that. I, I have similar experience. There's a there's a place that I played in uh, Bluefield, West Virginia, called the Top Rail. Oh, the Rail Yard. Top Rail was in Salem. Rail Yard. And uh, they, their two big things that they're known for is they they do a homemade pimento cheese. Oh, yes. Oh, man. And so anything that they can put pimento cheese on, they will. Is pimento a Texas thing too? Do they have pimento cheese in Texas or does that not exist there? Uh, it exists there, but it, it's it's bigger up this way. Yeah, like, no, it's um, a thing. Yeah, it's yeah, a thing. Pimento but cheese do- in Arkansas for me was much bigger than okay. it was in Texas. But they do a uh, twice fried tater tot with uh, pimento cheese. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, and I, I, it's a, it's a four and a half hour drive to Bluefield from your house right here, where we're recording this mm-hmm. in this lovely studio you've got. I would get in my car right now if I knew they were open. I would, man. That stuff <laughs> is so good. Um, we we but, do have Google. Yeah, we yeah, can yeah. Check. We can check. Um, but honestly. Jimmy's on the James to, to bring this full circle. Like I said, there was never a bad meal there. And they they were the same way. I don't think I ever paid for the alcohol they served me. Never. Or the And it wasn't just a drink. It's like, hey, you need another. Hey, let me get you another throughout the whole night. And if you didn't stop them, they would keep feeding and drinking yeah. you all night long. And then they made sure you had dessert in a box to go when you left. And, and it... Are there better places to eat? Yes. But some of it comes down to, like you said, with the with the chef in, in Forest, it comes down to their appreciation for what you're doing and giving you their appreciation through their art and mm-hmm. their passion. Hey, you're passionate about your stuff. Try what I'm passionate about. Have the side of cow, you know. And and I think that again. Fair stuff too. Food trucks. If it's good food, it's good food. And and I think by by not you know acknowledging that that it's not just how good the food is, it's how it's given to you. Oh yeah. If you haven't had a wandering donut in forest, you've never eaten donuts. I don't give a crap where you've had a donut before. These people take donuts to artistry level, and it's not overly complicated, and it's not like. You know, there's a bacon and, and turkey sandwich on top of your donut or any kind of bull crap like that. It's just really, really good Al- stuff. Although, have you tried the uh, the Krispy Kreme donut cheeseburger? I mean, I yeah, have. that stuff exists. But if you want a donut donut, you go to these folks and it's like, here, we've perfected donut. Here, have this. And so that's one of the things that really pisses me off about like – if you follow like any of the groups on Facebook or, or anything like that, and musicians are like, oh, never play for free and never, you know, you know, give an inch and always get paid as much as you possibly can. And like, yeah, I agree. If you're good at something, you should not do it for free. But don't discount the fact that these people, in a lot of circumstances, are pouring their artistry, sometimes even more than they do for their customers. Into exactly. what they're giving to you. Exactly. These folks yep. are either getting there early, 
like before prep starts and cooking for you, or they're staying late and leaving the kitchen open sometimes. If you're if you're closing up and like you've got the last set that ends at midnight and their restaurant their their kitchen closes the before 10, that, yeah, they'll, they'll make sure you're fed. They're still cooking for you. So yeah. there's value in that. Well, I mean, it, it's it goes back to a barter system. And yeah, if somebody wants to give me a ham sandwich for for a two hour gig, you know, I'm I'm pass. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hard pass on that. But like with Jimmy's, we've all played there for less than we should because oh, because we knew we were going to get food out of it, you know, and sometimes two meals out of it. Well, and and when Billy and uh, when Bobby used to get, you know leave an open tab for you, there's not to say that you couldn't drink more than you would have been paid. But there there had been close times. Oh, definitely. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, not to say that I'm trying to claw anything back or take th- something out of the bank, but I mean. There have been times where I look down and I'm like, hey, Bobby, I need to settle up on tab. And I realize like, oh, wow, I've had four or five drinks. I'm like, I probably shouldn't drive home. Let me let me get somebody to come get me right. kind of a thing because it was just that giving environment. It was like that, here, yeah. you're giving to us, we're giving to you. And I, and I think, honestly, that's what makes it all worthwhile. 100%. Yeah. That's what makes the band worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Flat 5 Perspectives. You can catch up on all Flat 5 Jazz information, check out our audio and videos, or see where you can catch us digitally or live by visiting flat5jazzva.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook, find us on Instagram or Twitter. Just search Flat 5 Jazz. Let your friends know the podcast Flat 5 Perspectives can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and most places you find your favorite podcast. Podcasts are recorded in the Flat 5 Studios, Forest, Virginia, with post-production done at Otari Studios in Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia, and the Sarpa Studio on the campus of Sweetbriar College. To contact Flat 5 Jazz, please visit our website or message us through social media.